0: That you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. I don't know about you, but there are scary parts of the morning for me, and the first one is getting out of bed. I don't know about you, but I sound a bit like a drum set. Things are cracking and shaking, and I get out. And uh, we didn't think about this when we bought it, but our bed is easily over three feet off the ground. We bought the soft massage, mattress, we bought the um, big huge box spring, and then we've got this great bed, and it's got drawers that you can pull out and store extra stuff. And let's be honest, at our age, you got a lot of extra stuff to store. So I I flip over, but my feet don't reach the ground, so i got to put my legs up in the air, and I fling them down, and centrifugal force stands me up, and I slide on the floor. That's the first scary part. Then I make sure everything's still working, which is a scary thing, but I hop around the bed, I visit that room we all visit, I come back, scary part number two, right next to Vicky's side of the bed, I stand on this thing, and it blinks, and then it stops blinking, and there's a number. This morning's number was a little high cuz I went to this apple festival <laughs> and they had hot dogs and Vicky doesn't like hot dogs so we don't get them at home so I had hot dogs and then we had chips we had cider we had cider donuts and I wanted to have the cider sunday the donut sunday that sounded really good but we were going to a birthday party afterwards and you know what they had at the birthday party white castle When's the last time you had a White Castle burger? Well, they're little. I had two of them, and they—they uh, they insisted they were from our last church. They insisted we—what they call it—loaded beans. Oh my goodness! There were no beans in it. It was all loaded, and there was ground beef. It was delicious. So when I got on the scale this morning, that scary part—it went a little higher than I would like. Now, if we had had the children here today, I would have shown them this. You know what this is? This is a food scale. And there are some diets where you're allowed to have four four ounces of meat. I'm not sure anybody could live on four ounces of meat, but we, yeah, we'll pray for you. Anyway. (laughs) This is how we measure things today. We have these electronic scales. But in Bible times, they had scales. There's a lot in the Old Testament, about not cheating on the scales and having honest weights on the scales. And what kind of scale did they have back in Bible days? They had the balancing scale. Well, some people, when they are offended by another person, get out their emotional balancing scale, don't they? And they say things, I made a list. They made things, they say things like this. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. There you go. It's better to ask forgiveness than permission. You've not heard that one? That's, it's better. I got that one. I'll forgive, but I'll never. There we go. I don't get mad. Do you, do you hear the scale here, right? You are going to pay that debt. Uh, this is my personal favorite. Comes from Star Trek. Revenge is a dish best served cold. Ooh. Remember, Khan said that to Captain Kirk. Because we, earthly non Christians, they believe that if there's an emotional, physical debt, it needs to be paid. However, we sing that great old hymn Jesus paid it all. We are in a church, we are believers. That that debt needs to be forgiven. But I want you to hear this. The debt also needs to be recognized. And that's, that's where a lot of Christians get caught up. Well, I'll forgive them when they apologize, right? They're still looking for that transactional relationship for forgiveness. Now, I want you to think about this. If I'm waiting for the other person to apologize and they never apologize... Am I going to get happier or grumpier? Grumpier. And what if they don't apologize for five years? Or 10 years? Or 35 years? We are now letting them... The kids say this all the time. They're living rent-free in our head. There she is. She hasn't apologized to me. Can you believe it? 35 years ago. And we carried that around with us. So Jesus says... First of all, not spiritually healthy, not emotionally healthy. And I'll tell you from a psychological standpoint standpoint, that if you carry that around with you, it'll affect your physical body. It will make you sicker and weaker. And yet, what do we do? We carry the grudge with us. So he says, oh, I have to do some pastoral things here. The uh, Greek word for debt is... And I know you all want to know this. In fact, you woke up this morning and said, I really wonder what the Greek word for debt is. It is Ophielamata. And it means debt. I looked that up for you. That's pretty much what it means. Now, in Matthew's gospel, the Lord's Prayer has that word. Forgive us our debts. Because if somebody hurts you or slights you, there's... There's something that needs to be restored. And Matthew was a tax collector. And when he met Jesus, his heart was full of debt. He knew that he was stealing. He knew he was doing the wrong thing. And what did Jesus do? He forgave the debt. So Matthew says, forgive us our debts. Luke says something completely different. Luke's gospel, the word he uses is... um, Yes, I know this word like the back of my hand. Anyway, amartian, that's the word. It, it means to miss the mark, right? Uh, you're walking along and the sign says, don't step on the grass, and you accidentally step on the grass. We're heading in the right direction, and we, we fell off the path. Completely different than Matthew's gospel, where is you owe me something. Now, both are sins, both need to be forgiven. One is more unintentional and the other one has the feeling of you owe me. And our human hearts want to get out the scale and measure until the debt is paid back. So, I I decided cuz I've never actually never done this before. I looked up forgiveness. Now, sometimes in the in the Greek lexicon in the dictionary, you'll get like Uh, And it means debts. That's it. And sometimes you'll get a list like this. And I'm writing them all down. I want you to hear this. The word is afiamai, And it means to send away, to bid depart, to send forth, to yield up, to let go, to let alone, to not discuss, to forgive, to keep no longer, allow not to hinder, and give up a thing. Now, Why does it have all those? Because they want you to get the idea that when you forgive, it's got to go away. It's got to move away because if we carry it, it's going to do us emotional, physical, and spiritual damage. Now, did you hear any word in there that had to do with getting back at the person who sinned against you? There wasn't one word about that. So Jesus gives us four things to think about and the first one is this there are no irreconcilable differences in the kingdom of god and can we agree that people fight over stupid stuff now if i were in kindergarten and i said stupid stuff they all go because oh, that's a bad word if you're five years old but i i worked at a church many years ago that were given a gift to redo the sanctuary And they got a committee together, because they're good Methodists. What's a a decision without a committee? And half of the committee fell in love with this heavenly blue color for the sanctuary wall. And the other half of the committee fell in love with that, and this is back in the late 70s, that yellow that every sanctuary was, was sort of a, a yellow mustard yellow. They got so mad about it that the yellow people began sitting on this side of the sanctuary, and the blue people began sitting on this side of the sanctuary. And the, it's like a Dr. Zeus story for church. The yellow wouldn't talk to the blue, and the blue wouldn't talk to the yellow. And one day the pastor said, I'm taking care of this. And he bought a chair rail. And he put the chair rail all around the middle of the church. And he called the painter. And you know what he did? He painted the bottom half yellow, and he painted the bottom, the top half blue. And he said, that's it. We're not discussing that. Poor Vicky got to see how this works in real life. We were at a, maybe we need to stop giving gifts to the church, but we were at a church that was gifted money to redo their kitchen. And they spent almost two years fighting over, should the counters in the kitchen be, what, what's that so called? What, like laminate, like uh, formica or granite. And they fought, and they fought, and they make a decision, and they unmake the decision for two years. Finally, the, the builder came in and said, look, if we get granite, they will measure it, they will cut it, and they will install it. If we get vermica I have to build it by hand, and it's good. Oh, and the installation for the granite is free. It's actually going to be like a 2 or $3 difference per foot. And finally, after two years... The kitchen is done. And Jesus says, why are we fighting over this stuff? Why are we getting mad at each other? We should probably get together and talk about it. And that's where we start here. The first thing Jesus says, if somebody sins against you, and that could be anything from a a a, a poorly placed word to a, a property issue, you damage their car when you buy it. I mean, you could... You could figure out whatever that debt was. And remember, our first response is to get out the scale. Jesus says, don't get out the scale. Go and talk to the person. And how many people do you take with you? Nobody. Just you and the person. And you say, okay, person, I'm hurt by this. Can we work it out? And if you work it out, you've restored a brother, and the church sails on. Now, what if the person does what a lot of people do and they dig in their heels and they tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't take this personally because you don't understand where they're coming from. And you're still hurt and the damage is still done. Then Jesus says, go and get two or three members of the church. Now, we are not ganging up on the person. See, if tempers flare, we say things we probably shouldn't say and we do things we probably shouldn't do. So the extra people are there to help keep a lid on the conflict, and if your tempers are going, your amygdala is flared up, you don't often remember exactly what happened. And then we have what they call a he said, she said, and they're going back and forth. Jesus says, we can stop the he said, she said, if we have some calm, rational people in the room who can say, okay, let's not let this get out of hand. And if the rumors flare, they know the truth. Finally, and I hope we never get there, but I have been at churches where they did, the person is still unrepentant. Then you tell the church and you ask them to remove themselves from the fellowship, he says, treat them like tax collectors and Gentiles. We're coming back to that because that's not exactly what you think it means. So why does Jesus give us this four-step process to resolve conflict? This is probably, for me, the crux of the message. Our example, our behavior, our actions as the church are our witness. You've heard that old thing, you may be the only Bible that anybody ever sees? The way you treat your neighbor or your brother over a conflict You know what the world is doing? They're getting out there, metaphor. They're watching that. How is the Christian going to handle this conflict differently than I would? It becomes our witness to the community. Think about this. Rarely do people love someone enough to do the scary, awkward, and hard thing. Imagine standing in front of that person's door who has sinned against you, getting ready to knock. You don't know what's on the other side of that door. You know who is, but you don't know the level of conflict and how this is going to go. I, If it were me, I would have a big pit in my stomach. But Jesus says you've got to walk through that and knock on the door. That's part of our witness. And we're looking for reconciliation and not conviction. We want to reconcile with that person, not get out the scale and make sure they pay their price. Now, I want to go back for a second because a lot of pastors use the example of a little boy throwing a baseball and it goes through the window and they say, who needs to pay for the window? You know what? The window is broken. The window does need to be fixed. I understand that. But all those emotions that go with it, that's what we need to heal. I'm not saying don't fix the window. I'm saying fix the relationship. I think that's where Jesus is. So there are two ways to approach this. And I want you to chuckle about this when you have lunch later. There's a wonderful book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And it says we have three voices that we use in communicating with one another. The first one's easy. There's a child's voice. The child says, I want what I want and I want it. Oh, you've met that child, right? Right? Fix the window, you know, right now. Probably not a good way to knock on your neighbor's door to reconcile. The second voice is the parent voice. And uh, Vicky and I laugh about this a lot because it comes with a finger wag, right? Your kid shouldn't be playing ball at my house, blah, 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 right? And he calls that the parent voice. Now, if you wag your finger at another adult, either in real life or metaphorically, are they going to respond in love and compassion, no, they're either going to finger wag back at you. You've seen this. Or they're going to do the child to go, I don't have to listen to you. You ain't the boss of me. That always creates love and harmony in the church and in your community. The third voice he talks about in the book is called the adult voice. The adult voice says, you know, when you did this, I felt this. Can we work this out together? There's no finger wagging. <laughs> There's no childhood stubbornness. That's where Jesus is headed. The third thing we're going to look at is we need to focus on the person, the relationship, and not the sin. When I was a kid, I had to memorize uh, why is it when I stand in your church, I can't remember a single scripture that I've known my entire life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Ah, to forgive our sins. Not to remember it and hold it against us forever, but to forgive our sins. So we're going to focus on the person and the relationship, not the sin. And if I need to bring the community, I'm doing it for, well, let me tell you this way. I was coming out of school last year, and one of the big high school kids, and I know pretty much every kid in the district, because I teach them from kindergarten through fifth grade, And sometimes I help with the musical at the high school. Every kid in the district knows who Doc Madison is. And this larger kid, a high school kid, is holding back a fifth grader. There's another fifth grader in front of him. They've obviously had a scuffle. And there's two more standing behind the other kid in case he's going to dive back in. Now, you need to know that I am sarcastic and I pretend I'm grumpy at the high school. Don't tell the kids I said that. And I said, oh my goodness, what's going on? And you already figured it out, didn't you? The two fifth grade boys were having a scuffle. The other boys were coming home, saw the scuffle, and separated them just as I walked out. I looked at them and with all the love in my heart, I said, you are idiots. And they went, what? I said, you are on school property and you're fighting. I have to go inside. I gotta take you to the office. I gotta write up an incident report. And I'm not gonna be happy because I wanna go home. If you had walked across the street and had the fight over there, you're not on school property. I don't have to take you to the office for fighting. I don't have to do paperhood and I'm I'm on my way home. Like, really? I said, yes. Now here comes the old man part. And we've all done this. I said, when I was a kid, right? We had a place called the Father's Association. It's right across from my mother's house a building and a lot. And we all knew that if there was going to be fisticuffs between the little boys, we would go to the fathers. Why? Because the kids who weren't fighting would make a circle. You may remember this. Mm -hmm. And the kids in the middle would duke it out. And if it was getting out of hand, the kids in the circle would pull them apart. They went not to encourage the fight, but to make sure it didn't get out of hand. And if anybody, like a parent, said what was happening, the wiser heads would prevail. That's sort of what's happening in this Bible story. Jesus says, take two or three with you. They're not there to fan the flames and get everybody madder. They're there to keep a lid on it, keep it safe, and keep it, well, rational would be the word. And perhaps help with the next steps. So what does it mean and I really want you to hear this, what does it mean to treat somebody like a tax collector or a Gentile? Well, our humanness says, well, throw them out. If they won't reconcile and they won't play with the rules, throw them out. Then I have to go back and look at how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors. And what did he say when he met them? Come on in. Come on in. Now, I want you to know that there was a relationship happening there, and there was forgiveness and reconciliation, but we, he didn't throw them out forever. He wanted to help them find forgiveness, find relationship, and join the church. So when we here treat them like tax collectors and Gentiles, we want to put our feet together, put our arms out, and make them walk. Jesus says, yes, they need to be removed, but always with the intention of inviting them back in. The world says, ostracize them, judge them, despise them, and give up on them. Jesus says, pray for them, share the good news with them, invite them into the kingdom, and like the prodigal son, celebrate when they come home. Poor Vicki has heard this all summer long, but the best book I've read this year is called... It's okay, unoffendable, unoffendable. It's written by a Christian radio personality named Brant Hansen, And he talks about the fact that when Jesus met any sinner who was in need, he was never offended by them. He could have stood up as the son of God, the perfect son of God, and pointed them and called out their sin. And he never did that. He never did that to the woman at the well. He never did it to the woman called in adultery. He didn't even do it to the tax collectors, Zacchaeus and Matthew. Jesus was not offended by people in need of the gospel. He was offended by people who were offended by other people. And that would have been your Pharisees and your Sadducees. Jesus wanted us to seek and save the lost. And I want to finish with two stories. And they're precluded with this. People fight. They may not put up their dukes and have it out at Boscov's. But people fight. And I'm sorry to say churches fight, organizations fight. It seems to be part of our nature to put up our dukes when we don't like something. There's a cute story told about a church uh, pastor and minister of music who did not get along. The first week the pastor preached on commitment and how we should dedicate ourselves to the service of God, the music director sang, I shall not be moved. The next week, the pastor preached a sermon on how we should all gladly give to the work of the Lord. And the director of music sang, Jesus paid it all. The third week, the pastor preached on gossiping and how we should all watch our tongues. And the music director led the song, I'd love to tell the story. <laughs> With all this going on, the pastor became very disgusted over the situation. And the following Sunday told the congregation he was considering resigning. And the musician led the song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? (laughs) As it came to pass, the pastor did resign. And the next week he informed the church that Jesus led him there and Jesus was leading him away. And the music leader led the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. (laughs) Not the way I would recommend dealing with a conflict. On a more serious note, Norman Vincent Peale tells a story of a woman who came to his office after a Sunday service with the strangest thing he'd ever heard. She said she thought she was allergic to church. That whenever she came to church, she felt flush and she got itchy and nervous and, and almost got hives. And it only happened when she came to church. If she didn't go to church and she just did work and home and all her other activities, nothing set foot in the church. She was feeling flush and hives. And Norman Vincent Peale asked if she'd ever seen her family doctor about this. She said she had. They discussed it and they couldn't come up with an answer. So he said, could I call your family doctor and talk about this? There was no HIPAA back then. So he called and they had a nice talk. And it came out during the discussion that the woman had a sister and had a conflict with her many years ago, decades ago, and they hadn't talked since. And that perhaps she might be overwhelmed with the guilt and the hurt of the separation. So Dr. Peel asked her back to the office and he dialed the phone and he handed her the phone. And who was on the other end? Her sister. And he said, you've got to fix this now. She burst into tears, and it turns out, as with many families, that they had fought over the dispensation of their parents' will. The older sister had been the executor, and if you've ever seen these, who gets what, why did I get this? And they hadn't talked in decades. She apologized, her sister apologized. There were tears everywhere. And she was never allergic to church again. Now imagine if she had done what Jesus said in the book of Matthew and had fixed that 35 years ago. If someone, your brother, sins against you, you have to decide what that means. Pray about it. See if it's a forgiveness issue. Or if you pray about it, it might be a resolution issue. If it's a forgiveness issue, you forgive them and you move on. If it's a discussion issue, please don't wait. 35 years is too long. 10 years is too long. 10 days, according to Jesus, is too long. Follow the biblical prescription. Hopefully it gets reconciled on the one-on-one visit, the two-on-three visit, or if we need to with the church visit. And if that person is removed from fellowship, Then we pray for them, we share the good news with them, and we celebrate together them when they are restored to the kingdom. Let's pray every day for a heavenly restoration. Amen.